0: Welcome to Vineyard Hopkinton. As we follow Jesus together, we experience the Holy Spirit, create a multicultural community, and pursue Kingdom of God justice. Hi, everybody in the building. Good to see you guys. And hi, everybody online. Uh, It's good to be with you today. Uh, Of course, this is a little different than how we expected to start uh, the new year, but we're still grateful that we got to be able to gather together, and especially if you're online. Thanks for taking this time to uh, to worship and to connect with us this morning. And <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> and if you're online, use the chat. Say hi. Let us know that you're there. Uh, we would love to uh, to hear from you. So here's a goal that I have for us in 2022, and that's this: that we would become more resilient disciples. I recently heard a podcast where they were talking about the reality that the church in America and in the West is shrinking. And so they were saying, what, what do we do to combat this, to, to grow, uh, to see more vibrancy in our churches? And one of the leaders said something that I thought was just really profound, really important. He said, there's only two things we can do. One thing is we can become more resilient disciples, that we can dig our our roots in much deeper, get even closer to Jesus, find all of our hope and all of our our strength in Jesus. And two, we can get on our knees and we can cry out and we can ask Jesus to move in a big way. Some people call that revival. Others call it renewal. Uh, Some people just say that it's a move of God, whatever you wanna call it, that's what we want. And I think that that's what we want for this year, for our church to be filled with people who are digging in much deeper, closer to Jesus, and where we're on our knees and saying, Jesus, will you come and do something that only you can do uh, in our world? But how do we get there? That's the question, right? And I think the only way that we get there is by being formed like Jesus, which is the name of our sermon series that we're doing uh, this January being formed like Jesus. And we're talking about the early years of his ministry. Uh, And today I get to talk about the only story that we have from Jesus as a little kid. So that's kind of fun. We get one, one story. Uh, And we have this book filled with all of his teachings, all of his miracles, all of these stories And yet, we only have one story of when he's a kid. And when I hear that, it makes me think that Jesus might have had something to do with that. Because I don't know about you, but there's always a difference between a kid's version of a story and the parent's version of a story, right? You know, for instance, in our house, this happens all the time that I will, uh, that Sarah will come home and she'll ask the girls, What's going on? How was your day? you know what well, what was going on today and they'll start telling her a bunch of things and then they'll say something like and then dad came up and whapped me upside the head and it said something crazy like scoodly bop and i'm like whoa 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 let's fill out this story a little bit here's what really happens we were sitting at the table nicely doing work they were doing their homework i was doing some work when all of a sudden one of the girls gets up, walks away, and as they walk by, they whap me upside the head and say, Scootily Bop, and then go on and do their thing. And then, you know, five minutes later, I get up to go get the mail and I come back inside and I lovingly tap them on the back of their head and, and, and maybe I cough a little bit, and so it sounds like the same word that they're saying. But you understand what I'm saying. There is a huge difference between a parent's version of a story and a kid's version of the story. So when I only hear one side of it, it makes me think maybe the kid had something to do with the decisions that were made in uh, which stories were told. Uh, I think Jesus had something to do with it. You know, one of the interesting things about the gospel of Luke, which is where we're going to be today. So if you have a Bible, grab it, open up to Luke chapter 2, 41 to 52. Uh, And one of the interesting things about this gospel is that it has the most stories about Jesus, about his uh, birth and pre-birth, Uh, and about his childhood, which is one story, but it has the most out of all the Gospels by like a long shot. It dedicates pages, lots of verses to this. And one of the reasons that theologians think that this is the case is because Luke had a very special resource that he was getting these stories from, and that's none other than Mary, the mother of Jesus. So Luke's sitting there writing down stories straight from Mary, about what happened leading up to Jesus's birth, about what happened after he was born. And this is what we get to read. It's pretty amazing to be able to get this glimpse into their their home life. And I'm sure that there were many more stories that Mary could have told, maybe more stories that she did tell that Luke just didn't include. But I'm happy with this one because I think it shows us something really important. And that's this that even at a very young age, Jesus was well aware of what was the most important thing in his life. And that's that he had a deep, constant connection to his father. That was what matters. It's a story in which he displayed a remarkable consciousness of a relationship with God as my father. And as we go into this new year, I think that Jesus is reminding us, inviting us, encouraging us to do the same thing in 2022. To set our roots deep, to say once again, the thing that matters is our relationship with our Father. Our Our priority has to be to put that relationship first. So I want to pray, and then we're going to read this from Luke chapter 2. So let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we just thank you for your presence today. God, I know that we come with all kinds of things. We come with joy at having spent holidays with people that we care about. For some of us, we come uh, with the reality that we're sick and life is not feeling quite as great right now. So I just pray for healing for those who are struggling with COVID, uh, colds, flus, all the things that are going around right now. I just pray for healing. their bodies right now, Jesus. Jesus, I pray that this morning as we dig into your word, as we learn from you as a a preteen, that we can really reorient ourselves, refocus ourselves on what it is that matters the most. And I pray that as we look into this next year of 2022, that we can look into it with a, a deeper and more profound connection to you as the central thing above everything else. We love you, Jesus. sweet. We ask for you to come in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Luke 2, 41 through 52. Let's read this. It says this. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first, but because they assumed that he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious leaders, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search? He asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? They didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. And his mother stored all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and all the people. So it says here that three days later they found him. What I think is really interesting is that it doesn't actually say that he was missing for three days. It says that they found him three days after they started looking for him, which implies that there could be a wiggle room of somewhere around a week that this dude was all of a sudden missing, and they had no idea. You know, I think we often get Joseph and Mary a pass at this point, and we're like, well, you know, it was a different culture. Things were different, you know, maybe this was normal back then, or, you know, Well, it's Jesus. You know, he's fully God and he's fully twelve. Or, you know, there you know, maybe he was really, really I mean he is Jesus. He was probably really, really responsible. So they just gave him a lot of freedoms. No. If my daughter, my thirteen year old daughter, was missing for more than three days, you guys would not be giving me the pass that you're giving Joseph and Mary right now. We can call it what it is. This is a long time that a 12-year-old was gone and they had no idea where he was. But when they found him, they found him sitting among the teachers, listening and asking. Said that he wanted to be in his father's presence. Didn't they know where he was gonna be the whole time? Of course, he would be in this one spot sitting in a kind of church, so to speak, in the temple, learning from the word of God. He sought out the training that he wanted. That's what 12-year-old Jesus did. Think about that. He knew where he was supposed to be. He knew what he wanted to be like. And so he went to the very people that he thought could teach him what he needed to learn. And he put himself at their feet so he could learn and so he could grow. He was so intentional about making it happen. You know, when I was in my uh, 20s, I went to a vineyard church in Columbus, Ohio, A large church, and I went there primarily because they had a young adult service that was like five to seven hundred people. So it was great. Lots of people my age, uh, lots of relationships. It was was a good time, Uh, and I grew a lot during that time. But one of the reasons that I grew was because I kept putting myself in position to learn from people who I could learn a lot from. One of those instances was something that became affectionately known as Eric Pickerel's hidden cave of man secrets. Uh, which is a uh, more outlandish title than it actually should have been given. Uh, But Eric was the the 20-somethings pastor at that time. And so he started a small group for guys who felt a call to become pastors. And so he said, come on over to my house. We'll meet once a week and we'll just talk about this. You'll learn, you know, we'll learn, we'll, we'll, we'll discern what God's saying. And I loved it. It was amazing. I grew so much. I learned what it looked like to be a pastor, how to discern a calling to that. Uh, I learned how to take care of yourself as a leader. It was really, really uh, an important thing for me. And after that, I interned at the church for six years. Now, most people interned for one year because they paid you $250 a month and you work 20 hours a week which didn't pay for the gas that was required to get to and from the church. So it didn't actually add up. But I did it for six years because I wanted to be around people that I could learn from. And so I just kept signing up and I moved around to different things. And I learned from small group pastors how to grow community in all different ages and, and situations. Uh, I learned about how to lead leaders and pastor them well. I learned what it looked like to be a pastor, to be in the spotlight, so to speak, and how to live with integrity and to take care of yourself. I learned a lot of things during that time, which was really, really valuable. And I surrounded myself with a lot of people that I still consider friends today. How do you feel like Jesus is calling you? What is Jesus called you to? What's he called you to do and to be? And if you know the answer to those questions, then the next question for you is, who do you want to learn from? How can you be like Jesus and place yourself around people who can help you to grow into what it is that you feel called to be and to do? You know, I was thinking about this at our church. If you want to be a worship leader, you could do no worse than carrying around Brian Graves' guitar case and just paying attention to the little things that he does as he leads us into worship. If you love kids and you want to serve in kids ministry, just talk to Debbie Dean, our kids zone director, and say, hey, I really want to do this. I feel like God's calling me to do this. And then just say, how can I help you? She'll probably have you setting out mats and snack bags before church, but you can learn what it looks like. Maybe you're techie. And so here's a great person to hang out with, Denoy Tucker. Just hang out in the sound booth or ask him when he's going to run cables the next time. And he'll say, come and join me. And I'll throw him across the entire sanctuary to you. It's much faster with two people that way. Uh, Maybe uh, you you love doing outreach. You think our mobile food pantry is awesome. You want to join in that. Just go up to Dasha Klinger and say, how can I help? And she'll say, actually, I need somebody to show up at like 7.30 on Saturday mornings and break down boxes and help me pack, ha- pack the boxes. Show up and watch as her and Barbara Girardi come up with ideas all over the place about how to love our community well. Maybe you want to do missions. You want to see the gospel preached in other countries. All you have to do to make that possible, let me tell you the, the trick right here. Go up to Robin Liz Davis and say two things. Say, I will pay for my own ticket and I will carry your suitcases and pray for any person you tell me to pray for. And they will say, great, I'll see you at the airport. Come on, let's go. Do what it is that you feel like Jesus is asking you to do and put yourself in a position to learn from people who are already doing it. How can we live this out well this year? Be intentional about learning from people that you want to be like. That's what Jesus did. What else did he do? Well, in verse 49, after Mary expresses her rightful frustration, which is reasonable, uh, he answers in this way Don't you know that I must be in my Father's house? It's necessary that I stay, that I dwell in my Father's house. Even as a child, as a preteen, Jesus shows that he had his priorities in order. And he also shows us something that I want to go on a little bit of a rabbit trail here with. He shows us that his family, uh, his, his family values are different than ours. So let's talk about this. We don't talk about these verses very often because they're a little uh, messy. Uh, we'll say it that way. But Luke 8, 19 through 21 says this. Then Jesus's mother and brothers came to see him but they couldn't get to him because of the crowd. Someone told Jesus, your mother and brothers are standing outside and they want to see you. And he replied, my mother and brothers are all those who hear God's word and obey it. At first glance, this seems super calloused and rude, uh, and at least unnecessarily cold to his biological family. I mean, Sure, his birth came supernaturally, or his, the act of conception came supernaturally. But I mean, his mom did carry him for nine plus months on a, on a donkey when she was traveling across all of Israel. Like, and then she raised him, she changed his diapers. There was a lot of things she did. He could be a little bit more thoughtful to Mary at this point. But here's the thing about these verses. This isn't a rejection of his family. It's actually a total reorientation of relationships as a follower of Jesus. Uh, Our team, France, is a, a theologian. He said this, Jesus demanded that discipleship take precedence over family loyalty. Obedient discipleship creates a new family bond that can supersede natural family bonds. Obedient discipleship creates a new bond that can supersede natural bonds. Your loyalty as a follower of Jesus is not just to your family. It's to Jesus. Period. Your priority as a follower of Jesus is not to please others. It's to follow Jesus. That matters a lot. Now, To some, this may sound easier. Maybe if, for instance, you have complicated family relationships and you're like, great, done, move on. Uh, I could do what I wanna do, this is great. It's not actually what Jesus is telling us here. He's not saying that you could just ignore everybody else that you can just cut all of those ties, move on, do whatever it is that you wanna do. He's not giving us an easier path. He's actually giving us a much harder path. And here's what I mean. He, he says that obedience is the bond that ties us together. Obedience to what? Obedience to the will of God and to the word of God. Those are the two things you have to be obedient to. The word of God tells us that we have to love our neighbor, that we have to love our parents, that we have to love our enemies, The Word of God tells us that we have to care for the poor, for the broken, for the neglected, and the rejected. The Word of God says that if we're filled with the Holy Spirit, that this is what our life is going to look like. We'll be filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. I think following God is actually much harder than just simply doing what other people want you to do. But it's worth it. It is much more valuable than just going along with what other people tell you. It is much more valuable. Are we living this way as followers of Jesus? Is that what people see when they look at me? They see someone who is living a life that is focused on the will and the word of God in all of my actions and all of my responses in my, my energetic times and my not energetic times. Is that what people see when they look at me? Let me look, put this out a different way to the parents. Parents, do you want your kids to do what you say? Or do you want your kids to do what? What Jesus tells them to do. This is a hard one. This is where like the rubber meets the road a little bit because at some point for me as a parent in my daughter's lives, there will come a point where what I want them to do and what Jesus is telling them to do is different. The question at that point is simply, have I raised kids who know Without a shadow of a doubt, that the only answer is to follow Jesus. Have I raised kids who obey me or who obey Jesus? How is it that we're teaching our kids to live their lives knowing that even in those moments when they choose to follow Jesus over me, that it, it might frustrate me? <laughs> it probably will frustrate me. It might hurt my feelings a little bit. But at the end of the day, they know that the only answer is to follow Jesus. Friends, apply this to yourself. Are you so focused on Jesus that in the moments in your life when, the, when your, your boss, your friend, your spouse, your uh, pastor asks you to do something that is different than what Jesus has asked you to do, that you know without a shadow of a doubt the only option for you is to do what Jesus has said. Is that how you're living your life, regardless of the cost? In Luke 14, 25, it says this a large crowd was following Jesus. And he turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else, your father and mother, your wife and children, your brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. And then everyone would laugh at you, and they would say, there's the person who started the building and can't afford to finish it. By comparison, hate everybody else. This, this is the one that really seems too far. But first off before we go anywhere else. Hate is used figuratively. And yes, Jesus does use figurative language. It was a very common uh, rhetorical style in their culture. This would have been a normal way that he talked about things. And yes, it does make it complicated for us who are not hearing him say it live and not seeing his facial expressions uh, to be able to understand always when it's figurative and when it's literal. But in this instance, it is definitely figurative. One theologian says that what Jesus asks for is first place in your heart. That is what successful discipleship requires. No other relationship can be first in your life. And he wants to make sure that we understand that we have to put him first. To follow Jesus means to only follow Jesus. I can't have a lineup of 10 people in front of me that I'm following. You know, Sarah, my wife, uh, my parents, people that are in like parental uh, roles in my life. I don't know, bosses, uh, overseers, all those sorts of people. I can't have this lineup of other people who I'm following. And then somewhere in it is Jesus. It has to be only Jesus. And yes, I can get advice from other people. I can learn from other people. I can rely on other people. I can love other people. But when I look ahead, the only thing that I can see has to be Jesus first and foremost, nothing else. We are following Jesus and Jesus alone. And sometimes it's hard because sometimes he says things that you're like, could you have said it in a better way? Like you just made everybody leave. Like if you would have phrased it or like gently rolled it out, you know, over a month, people would have, they would have come along. And I understand that. Jesus is not always convenient. He doesn't always do things the way that we want him to do. It doesn't matter. We are still called to follow him and him alone. And he says to us, if you follow me, you better plan on finishing what it is that you started. Friends, maybe this is a reminder to you. Maybe you need a reminder that you made a commitment to follow Jesus. And at some point over the past few years, something's changed. And you're following somebody or something else. You just walked away from the building. You walked away from the race because it was too long. The building cost too much. You just didn't finish it. And Jesus is saying to you, it's time to come back and to finish what it is that you've started come back and follow me. You've let things like lust or greed or laziness, sadness or frustration get in your way. Friends, the good news is, is that you can return to your father's house, that you can place yourself in his presence. There's still time. It's never too late. He always welcomes us back anytime, anyway but you can't follow Jesus and follow someone or something else at the same time. It is not possible. So as we end, how do we grow like Jesus? You know, it says that he grew in wisdom and favor with God and all people. How do we do that? Here's three things that I want to throw out. Here's the first one. We need to allow ourselves to be filled with the love of God by spending time in God's word. Spending time letting his word really soak in and sink into us. Letting verses like Song of Songs 7.10, I belong to my beloved and his desire is for me. Let that pour over you. Let a furious longing, to use Brendan Manning's phrase, grow in your heart for more of the presence of Jesus, for more of the word of God. When you're in this place, you'll stop desperately looking for anyone and everyone to fill those holes in your heart, to fill those voids, those lonely voids, and instead you'll find contentment in the presence of God. If you do this, you'll stop questioning whether or not you're worthy of love because you'll be so filled with love that you won't have any time to question whether or not it's even an option for you. Here's the second thing. Pray a lot prayer is essential. Relationships only happen by talking. There is no other way to make it happen. It's not crazy hard, but it does take time. And let me just say, you do have time. Even the most busy of us have time. You have time when you do something that maybe is not worth spending time on. Watching TV, staring at your phone, social media, uh, reading that that fictional, you know, that, that, that spy thriller, that, that I do that a little bit too much. You know, like whatever it is, doing those things, you have time that you could create more space to engage with Jesus. Use that time wisely and pray truths like Zephaniah 317. For the Lord your God is among you. He is a mighty savior. He will take delight, with, enjoy, take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Imagine the difference your day would have if you spent time praying for more love and less fear, for more joy and for a deeper awareness of God's just pure joy and happiness in being in your presence. Here's the third thing. Don't allow your failures to push you out of the presence of God. Brennan Manning, uh, one of my favorite authors and a deeply flawed man, honestly, uh, he talked about one of the times that he returned to God from a vulnerable spot and he journaled this thing that God told him. God said to him this, Brennan, I expected more failure from you than you expected from yourself and you always came back. Nothing pleases me more than when you trust, when you allow that my compassion is bigger than your sinfulness. Psalm 139 kind of echoes this to us. I can never escape from your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I go down to the grave, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest oceans, even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. Sam wants to come up. He's gonna lead us uh, in a little bit of worship. Let me read just one last Brendan Manning quote because I think it just sums up this story so well. It could be unequivocally stated that the central most important theme in the personal life of Jesus is his growing trust, intimacy, and love of his heavenly father. The interior life of Christ was completely father-centered. As we look at our lives, what are you centered upon? What's the main theme, the main focus of your life? Are you willing to go deeper with the Father this year to intentionally spend more time in his presence, putting other stuff to the side and saying this is what actually matters, getting lost, so to speak, for days on end in his presence, prioritizing him in a different way. Jesus' roots kept drawing him back to his Father. He couldn't escape it. What are your roots drawing you back to? If your roots... Are deeply planted in the presence of God, you won't be able to outgrow it. You won't be able to run away from it. You will keep getting pulled back to his presence. Is that where you want to live this year? I hope the answer is yes. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you that you've given us such great stories to be able to learn from that you gave us this glimpse into your own childhood. This this kind of proof that, that intrinsically there is something within us. You were fully human, and yes, you were fully God, but you were also 12. And so there was all of this going on. And yet in that, you kept you knew that you had to be in your Father's presence. God, wherever we're coming from today, let us know that we have to be in your presence that that's what matters most, that that's where we need to be. Come in and move. Speak to us as we worship. We love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name.